Hello, this is Daniel Morris, Senior Investment Strategist with BMP Paribas Asset Management, and welcome to our weekly market podcast. This week, I'm very happy to be joined by Chi Lo, our Senior Economist for Greater China, and Caroline Maurer, our Head of Greater China Equities. So as you might have guessed, this week is a focus on China. Clearly, a lot of things to be learned from China, given it was the first country uh, to go through the crisis and now trying to recover. And we're looking for lessons for the rest of the world about what might be ahead. If I can recap the developments that we've seen over the last week, in terms of countries trying to loosen lockdown restrictions, there's much more discussion now, particularly in Europe, actually have been a loosening of some restrictions which the markets have reacted positively to at the same time. What we've seen is a hesitance uh, on the part of individuals in particular to necessarily return to life as normal. For example, in Germany, even though people can go back to some shops, there's been a lot of hesitation to do so. Shops aren't full, and that gives us an indication that it is, even with a reduction in the restrictions, going to be a slow process before economies are able to return uh, to whatever the situation was like before the restrictions went into place. The other big development over the last week is we're getting much more into the U.S. earnings season. Around 120 companies have reported so far in the U.S. for the S&P 500. And the surprise has been how surprising the numbers have been. We certainly knew going in that earnings for the quarter were going to be quite bad. Year-on-year growth is actually nearly down 20% and will likely be worse next quarter. But the encouraging thing, at least as far as the markets are concerned, is that companies, even with the negative numbers, it's not been as negative as they expected, meaning that the surprises have in general been quite positive as opposed to negative. And in fact, outside of certain sectors, for example, energy, where clearly you have poor earnings because of the collapse in oil prices, several other sectors have actually had positive earnings growth. And if you exclude uh, financials from the calculation, you actually have nearly 8% positive earnings growth so far with the companies that have reported this quarter. So again, that's one thing that's given some support to the markets. Another thing that's been a surprise, if you will, is that the guidance that companies have been giving about the outlook uh, has, again, been better than expected. Now, a lot of companies have stopped giving guidance entirely because of the great degree of uncertainty. But those that have been giving guidance, uh, it actually is better than people had expected. The last development last week and something that we're definitely going to be following this week is what's happening uh, in the Eurozone, we've seen spreads in particular for Italian government bonds go up quite a bit. Uh, this was not expected because we thought with the ECB's increased purchases of government bonds, that would keep spreads lower. Uh, that hasn't happened. So we're certainly going to be looking for messages from the ECB, as well as the Fed and the Bank of Japan this week about how they're going to respond to the continu- continuing developments in the crisis. With that, now let's turn to our key speakers for this week. Uh, We'll start off with Chi Lo, again, our senior economist for Greater China. Chi, 
China was the first country to pass through a lockdown to try to contain the coronavirus and is now the first country really trying to restart its economy. What can you tell us about the impact in the first quarter of the quarantine measures on the Chinese economy and what, what lessons might that hold for us here in Europe and the U.S.? Well, China suffered a 6.8% year-over-year GDP contraction in the first quarter. Now, together with the secondary effect, basically from contraction of international trade of the COVID-19 global outbreak on Chinese growth, this makes it almost impossible for China to achieve the government's goal of doubling this year's real GDP from the 2010 level. Now, if Beijing still wants to achieve that policy goal, there will be tremendous pressure on its implementing uh, more aggressive easing, and there are signs that this may be happening. Now, for China's growth, it is facing two major risks going forward. One is a potential second-round outbreak as the lockdown restrictions are being lifted, and also a collapse in global demand due to the pandemic. Now, full-year 2020 growth is likely to range between 3 and 4% now, but with the risk to the downside depending on the development of the pandemic. For Europe and the U.S., if China's experience in managing the health crisis is any guide, it would take them at least two months from the start of the outbreak to flatten the uh, pandemic curve. But the risk for Europe and, and the U.S. is that they may need longer than China because I don't think Europe and the U.S. and any other countries will employ the same draconian measures that China had implemented to control the virus. So all this underscores the expectation of the market that there's a shock, a global slowdown going on in the, in the coming months and Europe and the U.S. will not be spared. Thanks, Chi. With that type of perspective, of course, we're all thinking about the future. We're all hoping for what we call a V-shaped rebound, a quick return to normality. What is the data that we've seen so far in China? Tell us about that. Has it been a quick recovery or is it likely to be a bit more slow? Well, for China, the industrial sector is getting back to normal with almost 100% capacity utilization. Uh, but the surface and the consumer sectors are still around 60 to 70% normal. For the rest of the world, normalization has, has yet to begin, in my view, because the pandemic has not yet peaked. There will still be a V-shaped rebound growth, uh, in growth in China, but given feeble aggregate demand, momentum of the rebound will not be sufficient to push China's growth too much beyond 3% year-over-year this year unless Beijing implements a significant easing package, which I still doubt that it will. So in a nutshell, I do not think China can get back to pre-prices growth level this year. Okay. Well, if that's the experience that we've seen from a macroeconomic point of view in China, at the end, of course, we're trying to find investments, trying to find good opportunities. So let's turn now to Caroline Maurer, again, our head of Greater China Equities. Caroline. At the best of times, we never have all the information we want when we're taking an investment decision. Now you have to work in an environment that is even more uncertain than normal as a portfolio manager. How are you approaching this unique situation? Um, sure. Uh, really, due to the unprecedented nature of the current event globally, uh, we remain cautious during these challenging times uh, and try to monitor how the situation develops very closely. Uh, there's considerable uncertainties about the corporate earnings impact this year in 2020. 
this makes very very important to have local expertise to focus on this market and explore opportunities amid heightened volatilities. To approach this unique situation, we focus on our key three elements. Um, first, uh, our investment team is fully dedicated to Chinese equities. This helps us better explore the markets and remain focused on our high conviction approach. We have experienced in different market conditions, and we are also fully operational and well-equipped to withstand the current situation. Our team is locally based in Hong Kong and Shanghai. Hong Kong has avoided the full lockdown measures so far, so my team and I have been able to work productively both in the office and from home. We have daily catch-up, bi-weekly meetings to debate and review our investment decisions as well as discussing new opportunities. Second, our decision-making follows an active pure bottom-up approach, and we're very much focused on fundamentals. Uh, we rely on four factors in our research. First is industry and company dynamics. Second is balance sheet strength. Third is ESG assessment. And the fourth is valuation. These factors drive our stock conviction level. I might highlight here the balance sheet strength is a particular focus at this point of time as we need to be assured that businesses we invest in don't face any liquidity challenges due to the loss of revenue as a result of a city lockdown, for instance. Third, we factor in top-down macroeconomic aspects as well as ESG considerations, which may influence the investment over the long term. So having the support of additional resources is a big plus, especially during this tough time. First, our senior Chinese economist, Chilo, helps complement our macro research. This is helpful for risk mitigation in the portfolio. Second, our sustainability center team provides ESG research and engagement resources. Third, we also rely on our quantitative research team for in-depth quantitative analysis adding another layer of risk management in our portfolio. Well, it's good to hear that you are on top of things. Inevitably, in the crisis, there are winners and losers. Uh, I'm curious, where are you seeing new or better opportunities that you hadn't seen before the crisis? Despite being in the epicenter of the crisis, China has started to recover gradually from a standstill situation since early March. Also, what is supportive is not just central banks globally respond to the downside risk with further easing liquidity conditions, but also major governments launch fiscal boost to support the real economy. So far, Chinese equity markets are proving relatively resilient to COVID-19 turmoil, helped by supportive policy and the relatively low valuations. About our current portfolio positioning since the start of this crisis, we have been focusing on sectors and names that are first well-run industry leaders, including companies in consumer discretionary, consumer stable, and the technology sectors. Second, sectors that are more resilient in the macro uncertainties, such as healthcare sectors. Third, companies that are subject to favorable counter-cyclical measures by local governments, for instance, cement and home-related goods. On the other hand, we may change underweight in sectors most affected by the outbreak, e.g. in the energy and industrial space. 
but we will look to buy industry leaders in those subsectors at attractive price. COVID-19 has certainly led to a number of behavior changes in China. For instance, we're seeing increasing penetration of online grocery shopping, online entertainment, and online education, higher demand for healthcare devices from hospitals to households. We are also like to see faster acceleration in industry consolidations. This should all play favorable for industry leaders over the longer term. About our long-term portfolio strategy, there are three key structural themes we have been focusing on for a few years now, as we see long-term opportunities for investors. They include technology and innovation-related names, consumption upgrades, and industry consolidation theme. Thanks very much, Caroline. If I can summarize what we've heard from Xi and from Caroline, Xi's view is that in China, the industrial sector is mostly back to full activity, consumer sectors a little bit behind. Nonetheless, we are seeing, so to speak, a V-shaped recovery, reasonably quick return to activity, but importantly, not at the same level as you had before the crisis, suggesting it's going to be a while before China is able to return to the level of growth that we saw previously. The lessons for U.S. and Europe, then, number one, that the U.S. and Europe may need to keep restrictions in place for longer than China did, given that the restrictions, generally speaking, are not as severe as they were in China. Uh, and then also, it, will, it may be a slow process for the economies to recover. The way that Caroline is taking this into account as she's trying to find new investments, uh, noted that the Chinese market in general has been quite resilient to the crisis, supported by government policy and low valuations. She's focusing on well-run industry leaders. In general, we have a bias here at BNP Paribas Asset Management for Quality Companies, and that seems to fit with what Caroline is looking for, and in particular, seeing good opportunities in the technology and healthcare sector, which are things certainly that we're seeing elsewhere in the world. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you again for joining us. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to one of your BNP Paribas Asset Management contacts, and we wish you all a good week. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.